Turn with me today to the gospel according to Mark. Chapter 10. Gospel according to Mark chapter 10. Read a familiar passage of scripture, probably familiar to all of us, uh, certainly most of us. And uh, an interaction with Jesus and children. Title of the message this morning is Like a Little Child. Like a Little Child. Mark chapter 10, starting to read at verse number 13. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those that brought them. But Jesus saw it. When Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. And if you're not familiar with the fact, you could also go to Matthew chapter 19, verse 13, and a couple of verses following, and there's a similar passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 18, uh, starting at verse number 15, uh, to, to read in the, in the other gospel, in the other uh, synoptic gospels. If I, use the, if I use the term synoptic gospels, do you know what I'm talking about? Some do. I hear some say, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I saw others that did this. Don't have any idea what you're talking about in the synoptic gospels, okay? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary says that synoptic means presenting or taking the common view. The second definition that he gives under that particular heading is of or relating to the first three gospels of the New Testament, So maybe for some of you, we've added a term this morning that the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the reason that they are called that is because their their message is so similar. Now you you get to the gospel of John and it it just takes off on a different different direction. It it tells some of the same things, some of the same illustrations, some of the same, you know, uh, records are in the Gospel of Mark, but there's a real difference. And when you look at them, the, the, target, the target audience of Matthew is the Jews. The target audience of Mark is the Romans. The target audience of Luke is the Greeks. But the target audience of John is the church, the Christians. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are writing uh, to people that, that are lost, a people group that are lost. But John is, is saying things to try to build up the church and, and to in, increase the faith of the church, to, to bring us into a deeper and closer relationship. And so his theology and the way he turns things is completely different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so they are called the synoptic gospels. Our text is from Mark, but All of the other writers of the Synoptic Gospels think that this incident was so important that they all included it. They didn't always include everything that that, uh, Mark did, but but they all included this this particular 
incident. And, and they didn't say everything just exactly the same way. It's kind of like, you know, pastor and I might get up and preach, preach a sermon from the same text, maybe even with the same title, possibly even with the same points, and that's debatable. Okay? And Mike, he might not even have points. You, 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 you know, <laughs> you know how that goes. But the thing about it is, is that if I preach it, it's going to be run through the sieve of my personality. If pastor preach it, it'll be run through the sieve of his personality. And so that's, that's the way that, that the gospels are written. They, they cover a lot of the same information, but they are run through the sieve of the personality of the person who is the author of, of, of that, that particular gospel. But even the fact that, that they're said different, there are some commonalities about these records that you find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke of this particular incident. First of all, little children or infants were brought to Jesus. I, I don't know about you, but that's a, that's a great experience. You know, to have little kids, little kids want to come to you. I, I was back in the, uh, the entryway into the, the offices this morning, and Claudia was sitting there with their baby. And, and I, I kind of spoke to him, and he grinned, and I walked over to pick on him a little bit, and he reached up and, take me, take me. So, so, so I, I reached down and, and picked up crew and, and, and just loved on him for a little while, and, and Claudia said, he likes you. And I said, I like him. I like anybody that likes me, and, and you know, and and but Claudia said he he likes you. But the commonality was that that there were little children and and there were parents that wanted to bring their small children. And one particular record says they brought infants to Jesus. So there were little children or infants or maybe a combination of both. But but the the little the little kids like being around Jesus. Aren't you glad? that it doesn't make any difference how old you are. The Lord is, is glad to have you near. And, and we like being around Jesus. And so the second thing that I notice here is that, is that the disciples, and undoubtedly this is talking about the 12, the apostles in this particular incident, rebuked them. They, they brought these little children to Jesus, these infants to Jesus, and, and the disciples got in their way, and they were, they were guarding the master, and, and, and in essence, they were saying to them, Jesus doesn't have time to mess with kids. Lord, help us when we don't have time to mess with the next generation, that we don't have time to take care of the little children. And so Jesus rebuked them, and in fact, Mark says he was greatly displeased, and he corrected their actions. That's not the way to do it, guys, okay? But he also corrected their theology by telling them only those who become childlike. Now, that's, there's a difference between childlike and childish. You understand that. But only those who become childlike can enter into the kingdom of God. Then specifically, it's stated in a couple of, uh, of, of these passages that he laid hands on them, and it, it's implied in the other one that Jesus laid hands on them. He, he blessed them. He touched their lives. I, I still love being touched by Jesus. But he touched their lives. So uh, these are the passages that we use when we uh, dedicate children a lot of times. Uh, we don't practice uh, 
infant baptism because we believe baptism is for a person who has become a believer and that they're old enough to know what's going on. But we do believe that the Lord loves and blesses and we can dedicate our children to him and, and he, he still loves them. Now, much of, much of my early theology was informed by the music of my childhood. <clears throat> Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. I will tell you that there are a few things in my, in my background <clears throat> that I can't remember when I didn't know them. One is John 3.16. I can't tell you when I couldn't quote John 3.16. And another one is this song. Or Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And mama, mama used to add a verse that said, Jesus loves the little Indian boy, bow and arrow for his toy. Little Filipino, big Chinese, Jesus died for all of these. Uh, that's a great mission song. And, and, and so my theology is shaped a lot by the music that, that, that I had learned as a child. But another critical point that we need to notice in these three records is, again, the fact that to be qualified to enter the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, we must become like little children. We must become like little children. So let me give you three points. Okay. Let's, let's, talk, let's talk about these three things. We should be broken like a little children. I'm gonna, we're going to expand on this here in a minute. We should be broken, we should be bendable, and we should be bold. Okay, let's, let's talk about being broken. We, we need to be broken by the weight and the guilt of our sin and pressed to repentance in the presence of the Lord. I was raised in a godly home. I could not be more thankful for that. I know, I know me, and I know if I had not been raised that way, I might not be here today. But God blessed me to be born into a godly home and especially to be raised by a godly mother. And I, I remember as a, as a small child, bowing at my mother's knee and sobbing, broken, asking the Lord to forgive me of all of the sins in my life as a child of about three years old. And some may say, what, what could be the burden of guilt in the life of a three-year-old? But let me tell you something. The burden of sin is the same if you're three or 30 or 130. If you feel the burden of sin and you really sense the regret and the need for repentance and you bow in the presence of the Lord, it breaks you. It breaks you. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to sob and cry like I did. Because I remember as a child, hot tears running down my cheeks as I knelt it by my mom and daddy's bed and my, my mother leading me in the sinner's prayer. I remember that and I, I prayed and I cried and, that, and the tears, big old tears had run down my cheek. <clears throat> but let me tell you something. 
There needs to be a brokenness. There needs to be a real regret. There needs to be the repentance that we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm wrong. I've failed. I've sinned. And I need your help. And I'm going to turn from what I am to what you want me to be. What you want me to be. Matthew and Luke <coughs> record that Peter, after the denying the Lord, went out and wept bitterly. He heard the rooster crow and he went out and wept bitterly. Now, I don't know how you interpret that, but I, I can see Peter, his body racked with sobs as he says to the Lord, I failed. I failed. You told me I would, but I, I promised you I wouldn't, but I did. I failed. I'm sorry I failed. And he was broken there before the Lord. You see, it doesn't make any difference whether we're new converts or seasoned believers. When we fail the Lord, there should be a brokenness in our lives. Or when we need a renewal from the Lord, there needs to be sometimes a brokenness in our lives. It hadn't been long on a Sunday morning that pastor was preaching and I was sitting back there next to Janice where she is this morning and, and there, there really was no open altar call and pastor didn't say come to the altar and prayed but, but my spirit pressed me and I came up here and knelt and sobbed and said, oh God, renew me. I'm, I'm, I'm not living in sin. I'm not doing anything that I know wrong but I needed a renewal in my spirit. There was a brokenness there and I'm here to tell you friends, sometimes the church needs to be broken and say, oh God, we're cold and indifferent, and we need your touch in our hearts and our lives. Set us on fire. Set us on fire. Move us. Move us. When we come to the Lord, there needs to be a bitterness in our lives because of our sin or because of coldness and a brokenness of, of genuine repentance should rise from the innermost being of our souls as we ask the Lord to forgive us and set us on fire again with the touch of God in our lives and our hearts. And children are easily, easily broken before the Lord and we as adults, need to become like little children, to be broken before him. Then we need to be bendable. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number six says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I, uh, I certainly appreciate the ministry of Chuck Swindoll. I love to hear Brother Swindoll preach. And uh, I, I heard him talking about this particular verse several years ago. And, uh, of course, I had, I had studied the Proverbs, but you can, you can always learn. And I, I always need to learn. I've got a lot I need to learn. And uh, Swindoll said, you need to understand that the Proverbs are not promises. Okay. Now, folks, I hope you, you'll do like this. I hope you understand that the Proverbs are not promises. They are principles. They're principles. In other words, if you do these things, then these results will generally follow. That's, that's what the Proverbs are. They're, they're principles. If you live this way, you'll probably have a good life. Now, that doesn't th mean that there aren't going to be crooks and turns along the way and things might not happen exactly right but, <clears throat> but if you will follow this 
Generally speaking, this is what happens. And this does not mean if you train up a child to follow the Lord that they will always follow the Lord, even though such a result generally follows. But we cannot take away free will. Kid, kids choose. Kids choose. I, I, I know of a family uh, right now that raised their, raised their children to live for the Lord, raised them in church all their lives. And... Uh, the son in the family has decided that he'll go his own way and do his own thing, but we're praying for him because God still brings back prodigals. God still brings back prodigals, and I, I'm, I'm asking the Lord to touch this young man's life. You see, it does mean discover a child's gifts and talents and the strengths of his or her life <clears throat> and to teach them to use these abilities and they will stand them in good stead all of their lives. That's, that's what this means. Discover their talents, discover their gifts. Train, train them to do that. Uh, I, most of you know our oldest daughter and she has sung here a number of times before I preach and uh, she, she just always has loved to sing, always. Loved to sing, always been good at it. And, and, and I remember her, her baby sister got up to 10, 11, 12 years old and she said to us one day, I'm, I'm gonna quit singing. Why? Because she had a really good voice too. And why are you gonna quit singing? Because I can't be as good as Jeanette. So I'm just gonna quit. Well, we continued to encourage her and when she got to college, she traveled and sang with a harvester choir, and now she's a praise leader in her church because we, we knew that talent was there, that ability was there, and we encouraged her in it, and it bent her in, in that direction. But what I want you to understand that this is true of the Christian child, but it's also true of the godly adult that, that there are gifts in every one of our lives. Every one of us have gifts. And that in these gifts that we need to bend them toward the service of the Lord. We need to train them in that direction. There's a, uh, every once in a while I'll see one of these uh, tall, it looks like a pine tree. I'm not even sure what it is, but they take them and they, they bend it and they tie it over here for a while and it, it'll grow that way. And then they bend it back this way and, and, and you, you, you see a tree in gardens and homes and, and they'll, they'll look like this sometimes. Let me tell you something, it didn't grow that way naturally. You realize that? It was trained. It was trained to grow like that. And if, if you have gifts and you don't, you don't say, Lord, I'm going to train it. I'm going to take my life, the gifts of my life, and I'm going to train them to use them for your kingdom, to use them in a godly way. I'm going to take these things. And see, children are bendable in that way. We as adults, we need to stay tender before the Lord so the Lord can bend us and train us and lead us and guide us in the way that we should go so that we can use our talents for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God. I have, a, 
I have a favorite illustration, and if, if you've been in some of the classes that I teach, and maybe otherwise, I've, I've used this over and again, but it just fits so, so naturally right here at this place. We were pastoring a church several years ago, and the, and the gardens outside of the church needed, needed help. And I, I need to, I, see, you see my hands? Those are not green thumbs, those are black fingers. Okay, it's just, it's just the way that it is. And, and we had a man in the church that came in, came in one day and he spent all day on a Saturday cleaning up these gardens and, and making sure that they were right and, and, and tilling the soil and, and digging around the plants and that type of thing. And it looked wonderful when he got done. He came to me and he said to me, I, I did it, I got it looking like this. It's your job to keep it that way. Let me tell you something, that's not my gift. That's not my gift. It was his gift. And if he thought it was somebody's job, it was probably his job that needed to be bent that way to use it for the kingdom of God, to use it for the church. You see, we need to understand that our gifts are not for us. Now, now you're saying you don't enjoy using, I enjoy using my gifts. I enjoy the gifts that the Lord gives me. I, I enjoy that. But it's not for me. If I don't take my gifts and use them for you, then I'm not doing what God intended. My gifts are to invest in other people, to invest in the kingdom, to invest in the body, to invest in the church, and so are yours. You see, if everyone would allow themselves to be bent to God's will, if everyone would find the gifts that God has endowed them with, if everyone would invest those gifts in individuals and groups that God brings into our lives, there is nothing that could hold back the kingdom of God. Nothing. There's a, there's a law, and I can't remember what you call it, but it, it's the 80-20 it's the law. There's a name for it. Somebody smarter than me named it, okay? But what it, what it says is that when you go into a grocery store or a department store or something like that, 80% of the profit will be made by 20% of the product. How many of you ever heard that? Okay, yeah, it, it, it's, it's generally accepted. It, it's, it's that way. But I'll tell you something else. You go into a church, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Now here you ought to do like this. What if all of us, what if all of us said, Lord, here's what I can do. Take it and use it for the kingdom. Take it and use it for the kingdom. I'm not trying to guilt trip. Well, maybe I am. But really I'm not. I just want you to realize that there is potential in your life. That God wants to use you. That he wants to touch you with the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit. And invest you in the lives of other people for the building of the kingdom of God. For the building of the kingdom of God. So as children we ought to be broken. As children we ought to be bendable. As children we should be bold. I want to tell you a story. I, the, the first job I ever worked on besides when my brother and I worked for ourselves and we got out and cut grass, mowed grass. And, and, uh, but the first public job I ever went on, I was a shoe salesman. I, I sold shoes a long time. 
In fact, even after Janice and I got married, we were traveling on the evangelistic field and in the Christmas season, it, it dies and I'd go back to the shoe department where I worked for so long and I'd say, Mr. Griffith, do you mind if I work a few days so that I can keep paying our bills and putting food on the table? Come on, Martin, come to work. And so I, I sold shoes. I was, a, I was a shoe dog for years. I sold thousands, multiple thousands of pairs of shoes. And because of that, most of the... Uh, most of the experiences that I had are just a blur. I just, yeah, it was, it was there. But one, one time I was working in Tulsa at, uh, at a shopping center that's not even there anymore. That kind of tells you how old I am, you know. But the shopping center is not even there anymore. And, and uh, one of the big shoe departments of that particular chain that was there and, and uh, this young lady came in one day with a little little bitty guy, two, three, four, maybe not more than four years old, and and uh, he climbed up in a chair and turned around, and I was uh, I was fitting him uh, for a new pair of shoes, and in retrospect, my 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 memory says it was probably church shoes, it was probably church shoes. And, and, and I, I had this little boy's foot in my hand. That's, and I was measuring his foot and getting ready to slip on a pair of shoes. And, and the little boy said something, and he shocked me. And I went, what did you say? And without hesitation, he said again, I love Jesus. And I said, I do too. I do too. Now, I don't remember anything else about that encounter, but I remember the unabashed boldness of that innocent child who said to me, a total stranger, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Let me tell you something, friend. I still look back pretty often on that encounter. And I think, oh Lord, let, let this old man have the boldness of that little boy that I'm not ashamed of what I am and who I love. You see, the early church was characterized by boldness. The words Bold, boldly, or boldness are used nine times in the book of Acts. Such boldness came from their time with Jesus. In Acts chapter 4 and verse number 13, the scripture says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained. I, I love the King James here. It says, when they realized they were ignorant and unlearned. <sighs> How many times do you feel ignorant and unlearned? But it said, when they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained, they marveled and realized that they had been with Jesus. If we're going to have godly boldness, we've got to be with Jesus.
We've got to take time to be with Jesus. Let me tell you, it's good for you to be in church on Sunday morning, but Lord, help us not for this to be the only time that we're with Jesus, but that we take time every week, every day, sometime during the day to be with Jesus. They took, they took knowledge of them. They realized that boldness, that vitality of faith came from inside them because they had been in the presence of the Lord. You see, the, the, the early church prayed to be bold. Acts chapter four, verse number 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats, they were praying. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. That's the kind of boldness and, and let me tell you something. I believe that this Bible engagement project, that if we get in the Word of God, like Pastor is asking us to get in the Word of God, that being exposed to the Word like that, that we will speak the Word with boldness. With boldness. Not only that, but the first missionaries were bold in their speech. Acts chapter 13, verse number 46. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said it is necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, talking about to the Jews. But since you rejected the judge and, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Paul says in Ephesians chapter three, starting at verse number 11, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness, and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you, do not lose heart in, in my tribulation for you, for which is for your glory, just for your glory. Let me tell you something, we are living in a time, I, I don't know how many times I've said to people, this is not the world I grew up in. Not the world I grew up in. But I'm here to tell you today, friend, I know, and you should know, if you don't already, that Christians are being marginalized. We're being pushed to the side. But it's time that we continue to step up to be bold in our faith because what we had is what we have and his power is still the same and we can be bold in Jesus. We can be bold in Jesus. It should stimulate us to remember we are forgiven. The penalty of our sin has been, been done away with. It should stimulate us to realize that we have been given strength through the Holy Spirit to overcome the sin and the habits of this world. It should stimulate us to understand that we have an eternal hope, that eternal life in the presence of the Lord is ours as we continue to live for the Lord. Therefore, we must not be ashamed. We cannot be ashamed. We need to stand up and be bold for the kingdom of God. Be bold. So what do we take away from this? First of all, Sin breaks us down, but repentance frees and lifts us. Get it, get it out before, you, you don't have to tell me, you don't have to tell pastor, you don't have to tell anybody, but tell the Lord, Lord, this is where I'm at. And if there's something in your life this morning, repent of it. 
Get rid of it. Bring it to the Lord. Repent of it. And bring it to him. Secondly, God has given all of us gifts for the benefit of others. To invest in the lives of other people. And thirdly, be bold. You have nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, we've got everything to be happy about because he has saved us and set us on the road to heaven. Be bold, be bold. Stand with me, please, this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray today that you would reach down, that you would take your word and that you would touch your people. Lord, as we stand before you and in the light of your presence and in the glory of your majesty, we realize, Lord, that we are always a needy people, that there is nothing in us. But Lord, we only come to you for we need your touch. We need your anointing. And I pray, Lord, today that you'd reach down and that you'd touch every person, Lord, that's in this sanctuary this morning and also those that are online with us today, that you would take the truth of your word and that you would lay it upon each heart as a blazing coal, Lord, from off of the altar of God, lay it on every heart and set us aflame for the cause of the kingdom. Let us to become childlike, not childish, but childlike, Lord, to where you can touch us and anoint us and use us for the glory of your kingdom. Touch your people and meet every need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.